Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm so thankful that you're listening to this podcast. We're going to talk about gnats and camels today. What? Gnats and camels? What in the world are we going to talk about? Well, you just keep listening and you will see as the lesson unfolds. And we see some language that Jesus used and some lessons that we can draw from it. I hope to leave you with a lot to think about as well as just a little bit of meat left on the bone so you can chew on it yourself. So we're going to start off thinking about certain types of people who will take things in the scriptures and they're going to be really strict and strong on these things, but they're inconsistent in how they apply their scriptural reasoning. For example, in Matthew chapter 12, the first eight verses the time that Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was a hungered and that they were with him, how he entered into the house of God, did eat the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath day, days the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Boy, there's a lot there, isn't there? It shows to us that true sound scriptural reasoning considers the whole of God's word rather than just principles and that there are certain situations wherein the whole of God's word means we might deal with something differently than generally thought. Like, hey, Jesus Christ is the Lord. If he wants to eat corn on the Sabbath day, it's, he's the Lord. In addition to that, to exalt a day above its intended measure. The Sabbath day was created for man, a day upon which man is to rest, not the other way around. There are people that misunderstand these scriptural principles and thus misappropriate the law in the way that they, did them, that they deal with them. When David is fleeing from Saul... King Saul, and he's trying to save his life. This is King David, the anointed one of Israel to be the king after Saul. Is David to die of starva starvation and the kingdom fall completely apart? What, what happens to the promise of Christ coming into the world? Well, all these things are overlooked by people who want to grab one section of scripture without considering the whole and make the unlawful application. People that do not Rightly divide the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And that what these people do is they take a singular focus. Here is the law. Don't do this on the Sabbath. Oops, you broke it. You're a sinner. Well, what's the greater principle and what you consider to be the breaking of the law? Or let me give you another example. In Matthew chapter 9, 9 through 13, as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. 
And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? I almost can, you know, I, I want to sometimes just attribute voices. Do you ever do that when, when you're reading the scriptures, something enters in your mind? Like I've, I've met people in life uh, that, that their voice comes into my mind uh, when I'm reading this text and other texts. Like there's this guy that I used to know, uh, he, 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 he would say it like, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? And I, I'll not use this direct voice. Um, haven't heard it in a while. Don't think that I can appropriate it anyway. He had a Kentucky draw to him. Uh, it's like, I caught you. You did something wrong, right? Like, like you're, the, you're there just waiting and watching. But notice, when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, they missed it. The Pharisees, they, they just want to catch Jesus doing something so wrong that they missed it. And they were so overly zealous that they missed the whole purpose of what Jesus was doing. In Luke 19, similarly, verses 1 through 10, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of statue. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house." And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he has also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. They missed the point. They missed the point. It's all about, oh, he's with a sinner. Let me let me give you a little illustration. We, we do something in, in our classes here in El Paso uh, pretty, pretty often. Uh, you know, we're studying through 1 John in one of our classes. We're studying in, through Luke in another one of our classes. And a lot of times I, I will bring up some modern day scenario about the principles that we're studying. Sometimes it's it's really good exercise. Sometimes the illustration isn't as good as maybe I could be. So maybe maybe this will, will be something for you to chew on. Maybe it won't. And you know, I come up with the best illustrations I can off the top of my head from time to time. So let's say you're in a congregation of God's people. It is the first day of the week and a gentleman asked to address the congregation. And he gets up and he says, Brethren, 1 Timothy 5.20 says, Them that sin rebuke before all that others may also fear. And he brings this verse up 
And he says, I have something that needs to be brought to everybody's attention. Brother so-and-so went into a bar on Friday night on whatever road. And he was in that bar for two and a half hours. We all know if somebody's in the bar for two and a half hours, they're up to no good. I took a picture with him going in. There's even a timestamp. And I took a picture of him coming out. Brethren, I bring this to your attention because we have a Judas among us. He's a fake. He's a fraud. He's a drunkard. Someone says, wait a minute, time out. Hold on. What's going on here? Do you know why brother so-and-so was in that bar? And he throws out a scripture. John 7, 24. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And this guy responds and says, this is what I know. He went into a bar and 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 says, We command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after tradition which you have received of us. I've got the scriptures on on this, we have to take action. If he's not going to come forward right now and repent, and here's this dude just sitting there with his mouth open that just got exposed to the whole congregation. He's just wondering what, what is about to happen. And this brother pounds his fist. Again, I say unto you, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, and he quotes it again. What do you think about this scenario? What, what goes through your mind? Oh, there's a lot going through my mind. Now, I know some people out there would say, well, he didn't follow Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Well, look, this isn't a Matthew 18, 15 through 17 type of situation. This person is not committing a personal trespass against somebody else. Matthew 18, 15 is, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. This is a public transgression, okay? This isn't the Matthew 18, 15 point, and if he shall hear thee, thou shalt gain thy brother. It's not 16, go and bring two or three witnesses. It's not, it's, it's not that scenario. It's not that situation. I mean, this guy did, is in a bar. It's not a private, personal transgression against somebody else. But my concern is this. If you thought this brother was doing something sinful, why didn't you go into the bar and get him out? And if you're tempted by alcohol, why didn't you call another brother or sister or whoever, however this situation or scenario relates, and get them to do it? If it would be tempting for you to go into the bar, why didn't you get somebody else to do it? You know, James 5, 19 and 20, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Jude, verses 22 and 23. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. The first goal is to save this brother's soul if you indeed think that he has erred. But the person who brought up John 7, 24, they're right. You don't know, even at two and a half hours, what somebody's doing in a bar. Here in El Paso, we have a brother that used to be a locksmith. Why might a locksmith go into a bar? Now, I know there are Christians out there that would say, nope, 
1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from all appearances of evil. That's a stretch of that verse, by the way. Um, anytime we go out and we do business in the world, we're doing business with evil. If you're going to say that it's sinful for a locksmith to change a lock on a bar, you're going to have to be consistent with that. It would be sinful for him to change a lock at Walmart because Walmart, at least here in El Paso, I know there's different parts of the country where this isn't the case, but here in El Paso, which therefore is part of the Walmart Corporation, they sell alcohol, they sell tobacco products and other things that are used in sinful ways. I mean, folks, if you're going to be consistent and you're going to charge somebody for going into a bar for being wrong, you, you, you've got some learning to do. You've got some applications to do. Now, we might talk about what is wise or unwise, but that comes down very often to human judgment. What if this brother, we have another brother here that, that works on uh, internet technology. What if, what if he's there uh, installing a, a, a cable for internet and his boss tells him, you must go. And he objects. What if he used wisdom? What if he went at a time where he thought no one could assume that he was up to something evil? I know the scenario is Friday night, two and a half hours. Well, what if he thought on Friday nights, the parking lot are full. Nobody will see my car or think anything. I don't know why or what's happened. And isn't that really the point? You don't know why or what's happened. And if you're going to jump to the conclusion that it's sinful, your first response should be based on Jesus. Jesus, who came to seek and to save that which is lost. That is the primary goal, isn't it? Bringing this before the whole congregation without even having any attempt to restore a brother, is that the right approach? I mean, maybe, maybe this person didn't feel like they could approach this brother because to approach a brother, you have to be spiritually minded. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. You know, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people are unaware of this. But if you're going to bring an accusation to somebody and try to restore them, the instruction in Galatians 6, 1 and 2 is, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. So th this would mean somebody out there with their own struggles, you've got no right to correct anybody else. And by the way, that's consistent in conclusion, right? you got to remove what's in your eye before you go to another brother about what's in their eye, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, because that's hypocritical judgment. Ye which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fill the law of Christ. This scenario has gotten way out of hand. You do have sin now. The person who just went right to 1 Timothy 5 and verse 20 and brought a brother before the congregation without even knowing why he has sinned. And look, even, even Nicodemus recognizes this. Look at John chapter 7, 40 through 52. It says, Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him, because of Jesus, folks. Some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? Look at their standard. 
We haven't believed him, so you're wrong for believing. Their standard's wrong, right? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. So their standard is, we haven't believed him, the ignorant people have. Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, the John 3 uh, account of Nicodemus is the reference. He said, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? Folks, this is the problem in the scenario that we're talking about. You don't even know what's going on. Here's a brother that's brought a charge before a brother and has created chaos, has created chaos. You know, in the assembly of Christians, there ought not be chaos. When you come together as brethren, this ought to be a peaceful setting. Yes, there are times where sin needs to be addressed. There is a time of 1 Timothy 5 and verse 20. This is not in it. This is not it at all. 1 Timothy 5.20, them that sin, what's the charge here? At best, right now, with no evidence, the charge would be that he made an unwise decision. But that would come down to human reasoning. Maybe he did make a wise decision that's above your spiritual level of understanding. You know, and, and, and this will be a good podcast. Maybe, maybe we'll get to this next week. But 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. I've been in these types of scenarios where you've come together on the first day of the week to assemble with your brethren. You, you're walking away from the world. You're entering into the safe zone. And now, wham, here comes attack on the brother. No heads up. No idea what's about to happen. Wham! You know, if you think that peace is going to be easily restored in a situation, let's say you do have, let's say the brother was there and he got drunk for two and a half hours. Do you think it's going to be resolved if he comes forward and confesses and repent? No, because I'm still going to have the problem and I hope other people would. Why didn't you go and stop him or see that someone else did? You let him drink for two and a half hours? How about this? Then you let him drive off? Like, what in the world do you think you just did? Is that brotherly love? Let brotherly love continue, Hebrews 13.1. What did you just do in brotherly love? I let my brother get drink, drunk, go out and drive, risking the lives of other people. And if he got in an accident, let's, let, let's not even talk about the breaking of the law and all the other things that are going in order here that are wrong. There's a lot there, right? What if he dies? In his sin. <laughs> Come on. I don't know about you, but in this scenario, my day with my brethren and, 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 and to worship in spirit and truth just got nuked. <laughs> and when the dust settles, there's going to be a fallout. This might create division. What about the weak brother over here that nobody considered when you just brought this before everybody who now says, well, I do think it's a sin that he went into the bar. And now we have to have a whole discussion where you got people of different levels of consciences, the Romans 14, 1 through 15, 7, that you got to deal with because brother idiot just blew up the assembly. Oh, folks. Folks. 
He's zealous, isn't he? He wants to withdraw from the disorderly. Look, that's right. But you don't even know that this, there's anything disorderly going on. You've made assumptions. Zeal rooted in ignorance is very, very dangerous. Romans 10, 1 through 3, My brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Zeal, but not according to, to, to knowledge. What's it do? It promotes self-righteousness. Zeal has to be properly placed. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected, always in a good thing, and not only when I'm present with you. Be, have zeal, but have it in the good thing. When people get all fired up and they get all zealous and they're on their marching orders and they think they've got that scripture that they haven't considered the rest of the will of God in and they go about and they're zealously working, you know what they're doing? Their will. I want you to think about what Jesus said in John 16, 1 through 3 to his disciples. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. You know who that describes? The Apostle Paul, when he was in sin before he was a Christian, known as Saul of Tarsus, who was consenting to the death of Stephen, Acts chapter 7 and, and into Acts 8 and verse 4, thinking he was doing God's service. Folks, come on. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils? And I named them many wonderful works. Then will I profess them. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Folks, the person, let's say that in my scenario, that that guy is struggling with alcoholism. He is nowhere near as dangerous to the local church as this overly zealous individual is. Who's going to create strife and contention. We'll talk about that going forward. Why did I title this Gnats and Camels? In Matthew 23, 23 and 24, Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have done and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind gnat guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. It's not that we shouldn't focus on details. The principle in this context, these you ought to have done and not leave the other undone. This, this person that I brought up in this scenario who wants to withdraw from the disorderly, that's right. That's scripturally right. But you are so busy being the CIA among the brethren. You're camping out for two and a half hours to get a picture of somebody leaving a bar? What in the world has just happened to you? What scriptural basis are you going on? 
I'm going to catch my brother. You know, one time there, there was an accusation against a brother where, 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 I, where I work, labor in the kingdom. The accusation was that he had a girl living with him. And once the accusation was made, I went to the brother and I asked him, do you have a adulterous relationship going on? This is what so-and-so has told me. It's wrong that they told me that, but they told me I, I can't ignore it now, blah, blah, blah. Brought the whole situation up, told the two involved that they need to reconcile their differences, uh, so forth, so on, dealt with it. The best I could, though the scriptures were completely blown out of proportion in the process by the other parties. The person said no. The recommendation by someone, that same person who has that Kentucky accent, was, maybe we should drive by his house. I'm like, no. Well, how do you know that he's not? I don't know that he's not, but he denied it. And I'm going to take him at his word until there's evidence. Well, then we should go get the evidence. No. Hey, where in the world do people get the idea that you want to catch your brethren in a trespass? That is not the goal. That is not the goal at all. I want to show him that I love him and I care about him. So what I told this brother was, I said, okay, well, I'm going to take you at your word. But if you're doing wrong, I want you to know that you could confess that to God, to your brethren, and that I would labor with you to help you to get over your temptations. Look, down the road, this person ended up falling away in a related manner. And this person comes up and says, see, I told you we should have done something about it then. Is that really what you think? That you want to catch your brethren in a trespass? That's not our, our role. Our role is to exhort one another daily, lest anybody be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews 3.13. Yes, if I know you're trespassing against the Lord or against me, I'm going to approach you to try to save your soul. Not with, I gotcha. Folks, what is wrong with people? That's, that's, that's the person who has gone beyond straining gnats. That's the person who, who wants you to err. Like, what is wrong with you? That, what, what in the world is going on? To the gnat and the camel principle, you have someone that is interested in the little minor details. Not that that's wrong. We ought to pay attention to little minor details. Yes, but in turn, they're swallowing camels and thus using hypocritical judgment. Luke eleven forty two says, Woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment in the love of God. These you ought to have done and not leave the other undone. So yes, keep giving as they were under the law of Moses at that time. But you're so focused on this, like the person who's so focused on withdrawing from the disorderly. Okay, that's right. But you're so focused on that that you're forgetting about the other side. How about restoring the erring brother? How about bolstering them and building them up called edification? How about if they are possibly sinning, helping them to know the way back? Not leaving the other undone. Paul told the evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ 
and the elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Show that you're impartial, that you don't take one thing God says above another and execute it with a prejudice. There are some people that have these prejudices when it comes to God's word. Let me give you this for an example. Think about those who want to earnestly contend for the faith. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. Jude verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly, that zealously, contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Yes, we're to be earnestly contending for the faith. But what about other instructions? Like peace. Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Or Romans 14, 19, in a context of authorized liberties, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things where, wherewith one may edify another. There's an account where I, I made a statement and I knew I would get a knee-jerk reaction from some people. I said, there are times where God wants you to compromise. And man, I, I knew exactly who to look at. And they, they immediately thought, here goes Brian going off the deep end. He's about to be a liberal. No, Romans 14 is a context that teaches you there are times to compromise. If a weak brother, in the first century context here, if somebody was converted from Judaism to Christianity, I'm a Gentile, they're a Jew. There are certain things, and we'll get to this. Actually, I'll use this later as, 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 some, uh, as an illustration. There are some things they were taught not to eat under the law of Moses. And they've spent their whole lives being taught it's sinful to eat camel. So as a Gentile, I know, like Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, that every creature is good and nothing be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. I know I can eat camel. So I'm going to have them over for barbecue camel. I don't know if that's a thing. Never had camel. Don't know that I'd want to have camel, but uh, let's say I'm going to have them over for barbecue camel. However you would cook it, I don't know. Don't, don't get caught in the illustration. But then this person says to me, you know what? Uh, I'd be offended by that because of what I was taught under the law. Please don't have camel. Now I have a choice. I can stand my ground. No. God says that nothing's to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. I'm having camel. You need to have camel too. Or, and the point of Romans 14 is I ought to receive him in this. I ought to tell him, okay, I'm not going to have camel. I'll not eat this at all because it's offensive to you. I'm compromising in an area of authorized liberty, in an area that God told me that I can compromise. But then there are your brethren out there who won't follow after the things which make for peace. And, and I call them brethren loosely. They're not really brethren. They're not Christians. They're not faithful because brethren are those that do the will of the Father, Mark 3, 31 through 35. So I say that loosely. They're going to stand their ground. They're going to offend the person with the weak conscience because God said I can eat it. That's the person in error. But that person says, nope, I'm going to contend for the faith. I'm not going to let them take away from what God says. Folks, that's wrong. I want you to hear me carefully. I by no means 
am intending to imply in any way that it's not important to defend the truth, to oppose error, to expose those that teach false doctrine. I am all for it and have done it for many, many years and will continue to do it until the day I am no longer on the face of this earth. In Romans 16, 17, and 18, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they are such that serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. In Galatians 2, 1 through 5, Paul writes, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them that which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that, because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, then they might bring us unto bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. I am with Paul. No, not for an hour. We're not going to let somebody hold a false doctrine. No, not for an hour. Which is why the person in the earlier scenario that brought this person before the congregation, not even knowing what they did, I'm opposing him publicly in front of everybody on multiple counts. I'm going to come at him, and I'm not going to do it softly and gently. This person's wrong. They need, they're the one that needs to be rebuked before all. We're not going to let other doctrines... Uh, be, be taught or, or be brought about. Uh, Paul, when he left Timothy in, in uh, Ephesus, um, one of the works that the evangelist Timothy was expected to do in 1 Timothy chapter 1, being left by Paul in Ephesus, was verse 3, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Yes, stand up. Earnestly contend for the faith. I'm not ever, and no faithful Christian would ever allow false doctrine, error, etc. to go unchecked. Now with that clarifier in mind, what about the person who wants to fight, who wants to earnestly contend for the faith. You know, I want, I want to give you something here. For the many, many years that I have opposed false doctrine, very aggressively, in person, face-to-face, -face, many times, preaching in front of congregations, many times, going to people individually, many times, having very hard conversations, I never once wanted to do that. Because when I had to do that, when I have to do that or in the future will need to do that, that means somebody's lost. It causes me great heartache to have to do that because in that moment, the person I'm opposing is lost. When people want to do that, there's something wrong with you. And Proverbs 26, 21 says, As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. People that want to fight are contentious. They bring strife. 
That's carnal. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither are you now able. For ye are yet carnal, for where is there is among you envying and strife and divisions? Are you not carnal and walk as men? You're carnal. In Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Did you hear that? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. James 3.16, talking about the tongue and the context, says where, in, where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. We don't want there to be strife among the saints. That's why I said with that earlier scenario about the bar situation, you've ruined that Sunday. You've ruined that first day of the week. Now strife is about to occur. No matter how you want to break it down, it's going to. You got somebody who carnally minded did the wrong thing thinking they're right, thinking they're a champion of the faith and they're going to expose a Judas among us and they're the one that's holding the money bag and stealing from it in essence as a loose illustration. Do you know why we earnestly contend for the faith in Jude verse 3? The very next verse, verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God in lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Earnestly contend for the faith is of necessity, should not be a desire. Yes, we should be set for the defense of the gospel, Philippians 1 verse 17, ready to do it, yes, but not wanting to do it. Folks, that means people are lost. That means there's false brethren among us. The people who want there to be conflict, they're the problems. And Titus 3, 9 through 11, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable in vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. Folks, don't be that person. Don't be that person who wants so badly to earnestly contend for the faith that you've forgotten to be a peacemaker. Be ready to do one while you're working on the other. When I've had to expose false doctrine among the brethren or sin among the brethren that I locally worship with, the end result was to bring about peace. Like in Corinth, when they had a fornicator among them. You know why they were to purge him? 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It was of necessity to deliver him to Satan that he might learn not to blaspheme and to protect the rest of the brethren from following after that sinful example. It wasn't so that you could stand before the congregation, beat your chest and say, look at me, I'm a soldier for Jesus Christ. That wasn't it. I want you to think about something. Does the Bible say this? We know that we have passed from death unto life because we spend all of our time defending the truth. Nope. You want to know what the Bible does say? Think about this. Think, let this sink in. We, we just had this discussion here in, in El Paso a few weeks ago. 1 John 3.14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Hmm. Now, loving brethren means 
rebuking them if they've sinned. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not going off some deep end here. Remember, I, I set this up. I'm not implying or intending to say not to oppose truth or not to stand for truth and oppose error, etc., etc. Love includes admonition, correction, yes. But what makes us known as God's people isn't just that we stand for the truth. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. It's not the sign on a building. It's not a building. It's not how many false teachers you've marked. It's not whether you label yourself this or that. That lets the world know you're God's people. It's how you relate to your brethren. Woo! Think on that. Now, yes, that includes disciplinary actions. But I want to come back to my bar scenario. This guy gets up and exposes the brother for being in a bar for two and a half hours. What are you going to say with this? Let's say you've got some unbelievers in the audience. I, I, we, we here in El Paso have had to practice discipline in the past where we had unbelievers in the audience. You want to know what? We didn't hide it from them. I, I've been in situations where people send out quote unquote visitors from among the assembly. When we do things here, we're going to do it the right way. So we're, we welcome the world to watch. You can, you can watch. You can see how it's done. We're going to talk about how the scriptures are being employed the correct way. You can see the pain and anguish. You know, when we've had to discipline people, we were in tears. In tears, not in joy. In tears about the situation. But we didn't hide it. We let the world see our love for our brethren, even when earnestly contending for the faith. Yes. Back to my scenario. Let's say this person who gets up with that 1 Timothy 5.20, I'm going to rebuke him before all that others may fear mindset. I'm an earnest contender for the faith. I'm a soldier. I hold the banner of truth. I alone will stand here and show you the right way. And let's say the brother whom he's exposing begins to cry. Watch this scenario take this turn. And he says, I wasn't in there for myself at all. One of our brethren called me from the bar, said he was drinking to a point of drunkenness, and he needed my help. So with haste, I drove there to get him out of the bar. It took us so long because he was ill, and I was in the bathroom with him, cleaning him up as he vomited, embracing him in love. And I did not want this to come before all the congregation. Now what? Now what, folks? Now you got the unbelievers sitting there going, these people are a mess. Not that it should have been hidden. And what if this brother says, and today he was planning on letting you all know what he did. I'll leave it up to him to do that. Who looks like a donkey? Huh. Huh. Wow, how terrible. So, hey, camel eater out there. What about judgment, mercy, and faith? In Hosea 12 and verse 6, 
Therefore, turn thou to thy God. Keep mercy and judgment and wait on thy God continually. What about that? What about Ephesians 3, 11 and 12 as it relates to faith? According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord and whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. What about judgment, mercy, and faith? What about Proverbs 21 and verse 3? To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. The brother in Christ who spent two and a half hours in an environment that he never wanted to walk into in the first place doing something that made him ill himself, cleaning up a vomiting brother in a nasty bathroom, in a disgusting environment, who was showing true, genuine, Christ-like brotherly love. The Christ-like brotherly love, Jesus who came into a world of sin, a sinless man to die for sinners. This brother that you just brought before everybody, he didn't want anybody to even know his involvement in the situation. Thank you, my brother, right? He showed justice and judgment. What's God desire? Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. It's not that God didn't want burnt offerings, but he wanted to see his attributes in his people above their acts of worship. In Micah 6.8, He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. He wants to see faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's what God wants to see. That does not mean that judgment, mercy, and faith supersede everything else. Again, not leaving the other undone. I want to draw your attention to James 2, 1 through 13. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also in a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, Sit thou in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit under my footstool. Are ye not partial in yourselves, and have become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he had promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you? And draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, notice this, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgression of law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that should be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, I'm going to be the contender for the faith, and I'm going to forget judgment, and mercy, and faith. You can't do that. You can't say, I'm going to be a specialist. 
I'm going to be the contender for the faith. No, you can't do that. I've heard men that proclaim to be gospel preachers, and they said, my focus is on apologetics. My focus is on this. or my Your focus ought to be on the entirety of God's word. That's been, let me calm down. Let me, let me calm down. Hold on a minute. Let me get a drink. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm calmer. Calmer. Not calm. Calmer. I know when, when my watch tells me that my heart rate has gone up, <laughs> I know I've gotten a little fired up there. <laughs> okay. Let me come to the book. Do it all. Both the Old and the New Testaments teach that. Notice this, these scriptures. And just some. Just some. We go through a lot. But I'm just some. Deuteronomy 5.32. You shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Jeremiah 7.23. But this thing command I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be, be your, your God, and you shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I've commanded you, that it may be well with you. Jesus Matthew 28, 16-20. The eleven disciples went into Galilee, into a, mark, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you, alone with you always, even unto the world. Observe what? All things. Jesus to Satan, Luke 4, 4. Jesus answered him saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Paul to Silvanus and Timothy, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you've received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul to the Evangelist Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing who thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Those Scriptures unanimously teach us not to pick and choose, but to do it all. Not to go up to the right hand or to the left hand, but by every word. That we know the commandments, do them all. We have the perfect law of liberty, James 1.25, as we read in James 2 and, and verse 12 earlier. But James 1.25, Whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of this work, this man shall be blessed in his day. We have the perfect law of liberty. It is not burdensome. 1 John 5, 2 and 3 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. means they're not burdensome. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart and you shall find rest of your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The new covenant of Jesus Christ is not burdensome. You can do all that God expects of you. You can be the earnest contender for the faith and the peacemaker. You can be the brother who looks to save the brother who is overtaken in a fault as much as you can be the brother who will expose those 
who practice or teach that which is contrary to the truth. Both. Properly balance. Don't pick and choose. Do it all. You can be the brother who will never compromise on the doctrine of Christ. The second John 9 through 11, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God, right? If any come unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not in your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that bid him Godspeed is partaker in his evil deeds. I, I, I left out the first part of, of, of verse 9, I think. It's whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Anyway, the point being, you can be that person. I am never going to compromise the doctrine of Christ and yet be the ultimate compromiser when it comes to lawful liberties. You can let your brethren go out and celebrate days and months and times and years and eat things that maybe you're not even comfortable with yourself, but you know they've got the liberty to do it and you let them do it while being the staunch conservative defender of the faith. Do both. Don't be one or the other. Be the both. Ladies and gentlemen, you have no right to call Jesus Christ your Lord if you're not doing his will. He said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That is Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Folks, gnats and camels. Gnats and camels. You want to know what the interesting thing is? The funny thing to some degree, Jesus was talking to those who thought they were upholding the law strictly. And he told them they swallow camels. I said I'd show you this illustration. I think, I think Jesus is so clever. He's so clever. He's so deliberate. His illustration, swallowing camels. You know what the law of Moses taught about eating camel? Deuteronomy 14, 7. Nevertheless, you shall not eat of them that chew the cud or them that divide the cloven hoof as the camel and the hare and the coney, for they chew the cud, but divide not the hoof. Therefore, they are unclean unto you. He, Jesus was telling the strict adherers to the law that you're eating that which is unclean. How wonderful, right? How wonderful. Very direct, very deliberate teacher our Lord and Savior Jesus was. And you know what else? As strong as he was there in Matthew 20 to call them hypocrites, he's also the same Lord that showed mercy when sinners came to be taught of him. When harlots and publicans wanted to learn the truth, that's the right balance. Never compromising the truth. Always willing to be merciful, long-suffering, enduring, to teach those that want to hear the truth. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. I hope that this study has been thought-provoking and challenging and, and maybe edifying. If you're out there and you're, you're wrong on this, I hope you're going to make this right. Call me up. Let me help you. My phone number is 915-525-5794. You can visit the wordsoftruth.net website. Contact me through there. We can Skype, visit in person, whatever will work, however we can make it work as soon as possible. Whether it's on this or something else, if you've got concerns about your soul, please, I implore you, let me help you with the Word of God to get right so that when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes, you'll be prepared to meet Him at that day. I thank you so much for listening. If all goes according to plan, we'll be back on Sunday with the next podcast. 
Uh, thank you. And until then, I will say goodbye.